morning. Well, I hate to do this, but I am this morning going to take us back to the, the middle school junior high dance, which just, just makes you, you know, eh, eh. That's, anybody have fond memories of the middle school junior high dance? You know, I mean, I, I guess there's some things I could pull back, but most of it was just nervousness and, you know, just bad stuff. I, I, you know, at that point, you, you know, you get dressed up more than you normally would, maybe, maybe Easter morning type clothes. You go back to the school that you were just at that day. You go into the cafeteria that you're at every day, and now it's like 20 leagues under the sea, you know, and, and they transformed it to now it's this, oh, it's, yeah, now you're at, you know, this dance. And you walk in, and let's, let's just be honest, the snacks were made in the cafeteria, and they're mediocre. And there are girls there. And, you know, it's about that age that you have, you've realized that, that girls are different. And there's some part of you that kind of likes that, but you're not real sure what to think about that. And by and large, it just makes you nervous because you're not sure what to do. And so, you know what happens. Girls, they line the one wall, and, uh, and the boys line the other. And you're there with, with your friends, and everybody's kind of thinking the same thing, but nobody's really talking about it. And the girls are over there, and I don't know what girls, I don't know what y'all are doing over there. Uh, I'm assuming that it's something similar, you know. But, but we're over here, and we're thinking, what, what's going on? And, uh, and you're really kind of rolling through, hey, what are my options? Now, there may be some guys that, that showed up at the dance and had no intention of, of dancing. You know, I was one that, there was that thought, I mean, we came here to do something. I, if I go to a meeting and we have a, a point, you know, a, a reason to be there, and we leave and we didn't accomplish it, that bothers me. I'm just that guy. So we're at a dance. I got all dressed up. There are these weird human people over there that I somehow am, you know, attracted to, and I'm trying to figure out, like, how does this, how does this whole thing work? But I'm weighing out my options, you know, I mean, there's always I can stay here on the wall in the comfort of my buddies and with these mediocre snacks, you know. And, and this is a pretty safe place. Or I could start to walk across this, this gym floor, this cafeteria room, and, man, what would happen if I did that? I mean, the stakes are big, right? The risk is massive. I start walking out, and these guys start watching me going. You know you're going to get razzed. I mean, you're going to get razzed just because, you know, you're, you're going and the guys that are jealous because you were the one that had the guts to go first, they're going to cut at you. The other guys, they're just going to cut at you just because that's just what boys do. And so you know that's going to happen if you step out. But then, I mean, you're going to get across to the other wall. And there are girls over there. And you're in uncharted territory. And there's no telling what might happen over there. I mean, I mean all right, best case scenario, she says Yes. And you walk out on the floor. And, I mean, come on, there's not many people out there at a middle school dance. Like the, the coach and his wife, maybe. And, and you got this girl, and y'all are out there. And I know, I, I know there's some folks in here that you got moves. I'm just not one of them. I mean, I, I stay in my box. Not, not, because, not because Will Smith said to either. Just because and this, is just, this is just what, this is all I got, you know. So... So I know I'm not going to impress anybody. Uh, I mean, I practiced in front of the mirror, and I, I didn't have anything else other than that. So I know my repertoire is limited. And so that's not going to go well. Even if she says yes, I'm going to get made fun of. But then what if she says no? 
what if I go over there and I say, hey, what would you be dancing for? And she says, no, that's all right. I mean, man, think about that walk back across the, the floor. And think about that conversation with your buddies when you come back over and she said, no, right? I mean, you just pack up and go home. It's over. But then think about this for a second. All right, so, so all that goes down. But what, what if you stay on the wall and you never left the wall? You never, you never walked across the gym floor? Right, is, is, that, is that option, that alternative, is it really a good alternative? I mean, come on, there's risk on that side as well, right? I mean, one of the risks that always scared me when I started to, like, really have a girl that I kind of had my eye on is that what if I hang on the wall and dude over here, my buddy, he goes across the floor and asks my girl. Now, she doesn't know she's my girl yet, but what if he goes over there and he asks her and she says yes to him because I didn't give her the option? That's horrible, right? Or what if my whole life I'm just the the guy that's hugging the wall and I never take any risk for things that obviously I have some desire for and want that are are good things? What if if I live my whole life on the wall? I mean, which is the greater risk? Honestly, which is the greater risk? You know, we're in this all-in series, and as we start to talk about and use this metaphor of poker and and what it looks like to go all-in, it's really a question of risk. And when you start talking about risk, you have to talk about what will it cost me if I, if I go in? But a lot of times we forget the, the other side of the question. What's the risk and what's the cost if I don't? In 2011, my family had, had just returned from a few years overseas, and we had, we had come back and we had found ourselves in a really comfortable, uh, great job, great situation. Everything about life was just hunky-dory, and except, except, except one thing. When people would ask me and they would say, hey, would you, you know, are you going to go back overseas, or would you go with this group or that group? I would always say, nah, I think I'm good. I got, I got, enough, I got enough stamps in my passport. I, I think I'm going to be just fine. But then at night, I would be kept up and not be able to sleep. I would, we were on a vacation one time, Terry and I, just the two of us got a chance to get away, and I remember, man, not being able to sleep, waking up at six in the morning, and walking around that pool at the hotel, and, and this thing God was doing in my heart just would not let go of me, and basically, this is what it was. He, while we were overseas, I came to the conclusion that if any influence was ever going to be had there, if any headway was ever going to be made for the gospel, it was going to happen among you know, the business, the, the influential people in the culture. But in order to really have a relationship with them, I would almost have to have a business that would, that would make our lives intersect because they were busy business guys just like a bunch of you guys are and girls. So it, somehow it, I would have to find a way to have life where we intersect and we have a, a business that connects us to one another. And so I came back knowing that, this inkling that, man, I, I needed to start some kind of business that would do that, but I absolutely no idea. I was a phys ed major. I don't know anything about business. I don't know anything about starting a business overseas. I don't know anything about any of these things. 
But I know inside of me that God just keeps on reminding me and keeps on reminding me and won't let me sleep and won't let me. And even when I would say I got enough stamps in my passport, you know, the spirit within me, it would always be like, yeah, you got a lot more coming, dude. And I just, it never would stop. It never would stop. It never would stop. And so finally it got so intense that, you know, Terry and I were talking and this decided, you know, we'll, we'll take the next step forward. And I, we took some of our savings, got a, bought a plane ticket, just me alone, and found some contacts with some different factories that made a product that we thought would be a, a place that we could start. And I got on that plane, and I left, and I spent several weeks just by myself over in this place I'd never been, among people in an pl- area that I had never, didn't know anyone, just I was a total stranger. And everything about that was crazy hard. It was just crazy hard. Like for me, probably the top of the list is being away from my family is the hardest thing that you could do to me. It it just, it kills me, especially if I'm totally alone. And uh, internet wasn't that great in this area, and so it wasn't like I could talk back to them every day. It was just, it was just really, really lonely. The financial cost, we didn't, we didn't have the money to drop on this ticket and for me to be out of, you know, away from work for that many days. The emotional risk, there were just, it was just this whole list of, this was just hard. And I can remember getting there, and it was, you know, it's all this travel internationally on the plane, and then getting there by a car, and then getting on an overnight train, and all of it was dirty and hard and lonely. And then I get to this hotel room, and I'm telling you, it was just, it was just, just a dirty hotel room. Internet wasn't working. I was as lonely as I've ever been. It was just the dark night, you know. I remember the, the, room in this hotel they had orange walls it was just bright orange like it just cut to your soul just felt like man this is hard I don't I don't like this way this feels right now and I started looking at myself in the mirror there going God what have you done why why did why am I even here everything in me wanted to just find the first flight back and get get back as quick as I could and I just gotten there I was like this is stupid get me out of here and then the next day I wake up and I call the first factory. And the owner comes over himself, picks me up at the hotel, takes me and spends the whole day with me. And everything that I'd ever imagined that having a business would provide in, in the form of relationships with these, with these suppliers, it happened. And then the next one. And the next one. And the next one. To the point that after several days, I called back to Terry and said, hey, God has affirmed that this is the real deal. And I'm telling everybody that I'm a buyer, <laughs> so we're going to have to buy something eventually. <laughs> and so now the stakes just went up because I knew that. I knew that I, I was lying if I wasn't actually going to put some skin in the game. So I went back and figured out how we could get some funds available, and I picked out some products, and I told them to go ahead and made an order and go ahead and start making this stuff. And I had no plan or <laughs> idea how I was going to sell it or do anything with it. And so fun, it was funny because after I made the, the order and it was time to get to the train, I said, hey, guys, can we, can we pray together? And, and we prayed together. And, and that moment was really huge because that's the first time that those guys had heard somebody talk directly to God. And they asked me questions about it, and I explained how because of Jesus I, I can talk directly to God. And it was big for them. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was twice as big for me because I was so scared and sweating and worried about what have I just done that I was praying, God, please, please let this be real because I'm scared half to death. And I got in that, on that train, and I made my way back, and I was, I was just scared. The stakes from that day to this day have only continued to increase. 
little bit by little bit, there's God has asked more from it and more and more in the way of time and effort and energy and finances and every way that you can imagine. God has just continued. The stakes have just gotten higher and higher and higher. And a few weeks ago, I was thinking, man, this thing is crazy. You know, what, are you, what have you asked me to do? And I had this thought. First time I've had it in all these years of, of being a part of, of this. Uh, you know what? Mark, what, what's the alternative? Because here's the thing. Either, either it's all true. There is a living God who created us, who is holy and has an expectation from his creation that we, that we also are holy and that we worship him. And we are bankrupt and are in a bad place because of our sin. And he sent his only son and he, and he died to redeem us and he came back from the dead. And there's hope for eternity. Either that's all true. And a lot of places on the planet, they don't know that story yet and it, they need to hear it. Either that's true or it's all a lie. You know, there's, there's not really a guy. We just, we just, it just happened. Death is, a, is an exclamation point that it just all ends. And we ride in the grave. And the relationships that we had and all the beautiful things of life, it, they don't go on past our short little blink on this life. Or let's say we believe that there's a guy, there's a creator, but there's no redeemer. We don't really believe in Jesus. Well, if if that didn't really happen, then I still am in my sin, separated from God, deserving punishment for eternity, and I'm, I'm in a heap of trouble. So here's the thing. If, if it's not worth it and it's not real, then I'm in a lot bigger trouble. You see, the stakes on the other side of that equation are worse and bigger. Hanging against the wall is a lot worse than what the ridicule I might take from crossing the gym floor. Making any sense? These stories that we're reading in this book that, that we have all in really just bring us back to these different stories through Scripture. It keeps on bringing this attention to God is asking and looking for our faith that we would believe even though that we don't see. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, it starts out like that. It says, um, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's, uh, that's Hebrews eleven six. Hebrews 1, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for of things not seen. You know, as I was looking back there this morning, Hebrews 11, you know what I had written right above that, just kind of over in the margin of my Bible? I had a date, August uh, 29th, 2012, and beside it I just had baby. (laughs) Which what's so funny about that is, August 29th, 2012, I was in that orange room, scared half to death, and wondering where in the world God was, because Terry and I had been asking God for a, a child, and it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening, and I was frustrated and mad and wondering if God existed. And for you guys that don't know, we've got twin babies now. So God, just so you know, God does exist, and he does answer prayer, and faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and things not seen, because at that point, I didn't see it happening, I didn't see it coming, just for what it's worth. But then you move down to Hebrews eleven six, and it says... Um, that, uh, that faith, what it means is that uh, we believe in him. And if we're going to draw near to him, we believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
So if we're going to draw near to him, it means that we believe it. We believe it all in. We believe it with all of our hearts. Even though we can't see it, we believe. And when we draw near to him, that he's going to reward those who earnestly seek him. And if you haven't read through Hebrews chapter 11, you know it goes on, and now it's these story after story after story of all these different characters from the Old Testament who showed tremendous faith. And maybe the biggest one is, is Abraham. And, you know, Abraham is this incredible picture. God comes to this dude, Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, and he tells him, all right, dude, leave everything you know, your family, your home place, your job security, everything that you have, leave that and move out. And then God's like, I'll tell you where to go after you get moving. Didn't, didn't even give him the, you know, like on the Google Maps, he didn't give him the end place. He just said, move, and then I'll, I'll reveal it to you as you go. So he says, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to multiply you and bless you, and even the ends of the earth will be blessed through you. And what he's talking about is through Abraham, then generations and generations of this nation, and ultimately Jesus would come, and the ends of the earth would be blessed. So what does Abraham do? Abraham moves out, and he goes. And he moves along, and years pass by. In fact, 25 25 years pass by, and no child. He's he's promised him a nation, but, but no child. In fact, during that time, he even gets so frustrated at Abraham that he he kind of takes things into his own hands with one of his uh, servant girls, and he has a child, but not the child of the promise, Ishmael. And so, hey, you know, that, that, was, a really, that was really not a very smart move. And so now, now Abraham, here he is 25 years later, and God gives he and Sarah a baby boy, Isaac. 25 years waiting on the promise, and then the baby comes. And then he gets 25 years with Isaac. He gets to go through the whole going to the middle school dance, you know, when Isaac went there. And he gets to go through all of that. I I didn't realize this, man. I mean, it's not, you see the pictures of this story of Abraham and Isaac. It's always Isaac's this little little tyke, you know, and Abraham's, Isaac's 25 years old. And God comes to Abraham and he says, tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take your son. I want you to go to this mountain that I'm going to show to you. Again, it's kind of open-ended. You move out, and I'm going to show you a mountain. Take him there and sacrifice your son. And he's real clear because he doesn't want him to think he's talking about Ishmael. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go to this hill that I'm going to show you and make of him a burnt offering. What? Now, I'm telling you, I I believe this word. This is one one of the hardest stories for me that God would tell this daddy to take the life of his son. But Abraham moves out. He takes his son. They start heading. They've got a couple guys with them. It's pretty awesome because they get along the way, and then they, they break from these two guys. And he and his son, Isaac, they move on. And he says, hey, we're going to go, and we're going to come back again. Abraham has this crazy faith that he's going to obey God in this sacrifice, but he's confident that God's going to provide. In fact, in Hebrews, when it talks about it, it says, Abraham, even believing that if God had to raise Isaac from the dead, that God would provide. So he's going to take him, and he's going to obey, and it's illogical. (laughs) This promised son, and now I'm going to kill him. Make any sense. 
except that God's asked me to do it. I'm going to obey. God is good. So he takes him. They go to this hill. They, they get there. Uh, on the way up, uh, Isaac's like, hey, we got the sticks. We, we, got, we, got, we got the other stuff, but I don't see the lamb. And Abraham says, no worries. God will provide the lamb. They get there. They build the altar. They put the logs on the altar. And it says that he, Abraham, <laughs> binds Isaac and puts him on the altar. Now, remember, Isaac's 25 years old. I mean, you put Isaac and Abraham in a cage match, I'm pretty sure Isaac's walk, walking out, right? I mean, if he doesn't want to get on the altar, I'm pretty sure he can run away and, and make sure that doesn't happen. So there's a tremendous amount of faith happening here, both with Abraham and Isaac, that he allows himself to be bound and laid up on the altar. And then Abraham actually pulls out the knife, puts it over his head, and starts to plunge it into his son. And God says, stop. Now that I know that you fully believe, to the point that you would even take your only son's life, and he, and he provides the ram in the thicket, he provides the sacrifice. You know, that place, uh, Abraham called it, the Lord will provide. This is crazy, y'all. That, that place later on is, becomes Jerusalem, and the place that God took the life of his only son on our behalf, and he did come back from the grave. It's a beautiful foreshadowing of what God was going to do. But here you've got this tremendous faith in Abraham that he would step out and he would do that. But think about it for a second. What was on the other side of the equation? What was the alternative? He had been walking with God all this time and all these different tests had come, all these different things had happened where God had said, do this, and it didn't make sense to Abraham, and he had to choose. Am I going to believe and follow or am I going to do what makes sense to me? There's another crazy story in uh, Luke chapter 7. There's this uh, Pharisee that asked, this religious leader that asked Jesus to come over to eat lunch. And, and Jesus goes over and he eats lunch. But it, it says, you know, you can tell from the story that this Pharisee didn't think all that much of Jesus, was probably bringing him into his house because he thought he could debate him and show him up, you know. Doesn't show him any of the signs of hospitality. But he has him at the table and, and Jesus is there having lunch. And this prostitute in town she finds out that Jesus is at this place, and she's already realized that Jesus is who he said he was, that he's the Messiah. And so this, this prostitute comes to the house, and it says that she, she comes to Jesus, and she falls at his, on her knees at his feet, and she is just weeping. And her, her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. And she, with her tears and with her hair, she, she cleans Jesus' feet with her tears and with, with her hair. And it says that she kisses his feet. And then she does the unthinkable. She brings out her alabaster jar of perfume, which there's no telling the, the cost, just the value of that, the, the jar, but then this, this perfume that was really you know special. I mean, it, there was a cost there, but there was even a bigger value to her because, remember, in her occupation, this was the thing that she used to draw in her clients and to make her business. So when she pours it out on Jesus' feet, she's making a major life change. Her livelihood is now gone, wrapped up in this, and she's giving it. And she's weeping because she's realized that Jesus is her only hope. The Pharisee obviously doesn't get it. It says that he's thinking to himself, 
is, who is this Jesus? Why would he let this woman? He knows what kind of woman this is. Why would he let her just be? And then Jesus lets that dude have it, you know? <laughs> this, is, this, is just, this is just what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt and you have no hope and you find the one that can give hope. This is just what happens. This is just what you do. This is, this is a natural response. This isn't supernatural. What Abraham do, did was, in some ways, mind-blowing and amazing. On the other hand, it's like, what other choice did he have? He had seen God bring Isaac to a barren womb. He had seen it happen. He had witnessed that God is real. What other response would you have? And I say this this morning, and my question is, when we talk about all in for you, for me, what is the alternative? What's the other side of the equation? And my guess would be that we're already, <laughs> we're already all in, and we don't really realize it. A few years ago, I, was, I boarded a plane. I, I had been on an overnight flight, and I had the last little stint. You know how if you're flying in or out of XNA, you've always got, like, the one flight. The one flight to start you and the one flight to get you home. It's always that last flight getting home. It's just so incredibly hard. But especially when you did an overnight flight the night before and got to that other airport at, you know, 5 a.m. for an 8 o'clock flight, and you are just jet-lagged and tired and not really seeing straight or thinking all that straight. And I fell asleep in the airport, and I heard them say, hey, XNA flight, and I walked through a gate, and I got on the plane, and then we were in the air, and all of a sudden I had this... Is, is, this, is, is this the Fayetteville flight or the Fort Lauderdale flight? Because there, there were two doors, and I could be on the Fort Lauderdale flight, but I thought I went in the Fayetteville flight, and I was looking around at everybody like, do these people look like Arkansans <laughs> or Floridians, you know? Like, what's, what's happening here? And I, I was looking at the stewardess, and I was trying to, and I, I had this, you know, I wasn't thinking straight. I had this anxiety attack. Man, what, 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 if, what if the plane lands and I'm in Fort Lauderdale? What am I going to do? I don't want to be home so bad. And I was, I was just reeling, you know, and I looked at the stewardess, and I thought, you know, I guess I could ask her. <laughs> think, think how funny that conversation would have gone. Excuse me, ma'am. Is, the, is this flight going to, to Fayetteville or Fort Lauderdale? Well, she's going to think, what are you, man? You, you got on the plane. I didn't even think about, you know, that they don't let you on the plane unless you have a ticket for that flight. I just wasn't, wasn't all there at that moment. But, but here's my point. I was already in the air. I was already on that flight. If that, place, if that plane had landed in Fort Lauderdale, I was going to be in Fort Lauderdale. If it was going to land in Fayetteville, I was going to be in Fayetteville. I was already in. It didn't matter. My debate and my concern and my, all of that, wasn't, there was no point. I was already on the flight. If you're in this room this morning, especially if you're in this room and you say that you have turned from your sin and you have trusted in Jesus and you believe the things that I just said about him, if you're in the room and you haven't gotten to that point, but to some degree you're interested in who this God is and who this Jesus is, guess what? You're, you're pretty much on the flight. If you've already said you put tr- faith in him, you are on the flight. And so now the question is, what's your alternative? Do you bail out? Do you jump out? <laughs> I mean, you're in. You're in because either it's true and it's real or it's not. And if it's real and it's true, then there are things that come along with that. There are just things that are true. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a purpose for your life. He's got a purpose on the planet. And you're a part of it. You know good news and the world needs to hear it and you get to be a part of that. All in is kind of an afterthought. You're going to cross, cross the, the uh, parquet floor to the girls on the other wall. Because what's the alternative? Let's put it this way. If, if Jesus, 
let's say you go all in for Jesus, whatever all in for Jesus means, like whatever he's doing in your heart and kind of moving you towards, which is what's really cool about the church is that across this room, man, there are all kinds of different things, man. If we could talk about it, I talked to a guy just a minute ago that God had kind of revealed something to him that, that is this what, is this, would this be something that he would want me to do? For some, it's, man, I'm a, I serve, man, serving with babies would scare me half to death. But if, if that's what Jesus wants me to do, and you can't, you can't leave that thought when you're here on Sundays, man, there are babies back there that need help. There are others that, man, it's, it's other things. You know, it's time, it's effort, it's energy, it's gifting, it's finances, it's whatever. There's all kinds of different things across this room. And so here it comes. Here's the opportunity. And let's say, let's say that you take the risk, you have the faith, and you go big. You go all in. And let's say that, that you get in the baby room and you find out you don't like babies. And it was a horrible experience. Or let's say, like for me, that I come to the end of this thing and fail horribly. And I'm the dude that got told, I don't want to dance with you. And I got to walk across the floor and I look like a fool. Let's say that's the end result of it. What's worse? Being a fool for Jesus or being the fool that has zero faith that you say you believe in but you really don't? What's the greater risk? Hudson Taylor, one of the great missionaries in history, he said, Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Talking about just of your life. Either he has total dominion and reign or don't claim that he's the Lord of your life. Because when he comes in, he comes in to take over. That's just the way he rolls. You know, there's a... I'll just I'll close with this. There, I haven't played a lot of poker. In fact, this past week, Charlie, the pastor, had to teach me how to play. Since we're talking about it, I had to, I had to, I had to have my, my preacher teach me. But, um, <laughs> but I do really, really, I found that I really, really like poker movies where there's a, some kind of casino gambling theme, which is, which is funny. Oceans series, uh, James Bond, whenever he's playing poker. And there's one of the recent movies where, where he's playing poker, and he has to beat the villain to, to, like, save the world. And so it comes down to a poker game. Anybody seen this one? You know what I'm talking about? So, so they're at the table. But here's the thing. Bond has all of these chips, but he's been staked by the British government. And so they're not his chips. They're the British government's chips. And he makes this huge move, and he pushes in the middle of the table, and he thinks he's won, and then, you know, he's just cool and suave. I, I, but then, he, then he, he loses. So he lost all of that money. But it wasn't his money. He walks out. He's sad because the world's going to fall apart. Then a CIA agent comes up to him and says, hey, we'll stake you. You're back in the game. So now he takes America's money. And he goes to the table, and he's got all these crazy chips, and he goes to the table, and he makes the big bet. But guess what? They're not his chips. <laughs> so he's betting somebody else's money. For you and me in this game, what we got to realize is when we're looking back at the chips and we're deciding that we're going to push them to the middle of the table, make no mistake about it, this is everything. This is your life. And you're not the billionaire that can push them to the middle of the table and lose and walk off and just take a little hit in your, you know, your, your, your end income. No. You're, we're spiritually bankrupt. This, this is everything that we have. We, we push it to the middle of the table because we're hopeless and helpless unless it's all true. 
I don't get to buy my, my baby's shoes <laughs> unless it's all true. That kind of, that kind of all-in commitment. So, we're going to sing a few songs, and I leave that challenge to you. What's the alternative? Is this really a decision? You know, on the front of this book that we're reading, it says you're one decision away from a different life. I challenge it this morning. I, I, I don't know that there really is much of a decision. If you really weigh out the, the comparison of a life of deep faith in Christ and a life where you stand on your own, I don't know. I don't think there's much there to be decided. Let me pray for us. Father, I...